The Lord calls us to worship uh, from the book of Psalms, chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the earth and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep me, your servant, also from presumptuous sins. Let none of them have dominion over me, that I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. today as your people, that you would be with us by your spirit, that everything that is done here this morning in honor of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be for his glory and for his praise. And Lord, we do cry out to you that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might sing praises to you in a way that is acceptable in your sight. Lord, would you be with our minds also that we would consider the great truths of your word, hear them by faith and believe them. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as your people and pray as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning as we...
confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal if you would like to turn there. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Colossians chapter 2. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing hymn number 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. you to do something you know you shouldn't do. That's that's pretty pretty good. But there's also an aspect of temptation where it's something that we actually want to do. There's a desire in your heart or in my heart. Yes? Something that we really want to do that we shouldn't do. Something we really want to do that we shouldn't do is what Thomas just said. And that's those two things together are pretty good. That it's in our heart we want to do it. So when you do something you know you shouldn't the first thing that you say to your parents when you talk to them about it is, not so-and-so made me do it, I wanted to do it. It was in my heart. I chose to do it. And it's also true that somebody else does want you to sin. Not anybody in this room and no one at home. It's your enemy. Does anybody know who that enemy is? Satan. That's exactly right. He is your enemy. And he delights in nothing more than evil before the living God. He loves for you to do things that you know God doesn't want you to do. And there's a promise in the Bible. There's lots of promises in the Bible. But there's a promise in the Bible that Jesus made to Peter in Luke chapter 22. He said, Peter, well actually he said Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You're going to be tempted, Simon. You're going to be tempted to deny that you know me. But take heart, Simon. I have prayed for you that your faith would be strong. Jesus prayed that for Simon. And he prays that for you. That in the moment of temptation, when there's something in your heart that you want to do, or when our enemy, Satan, wants you to do it, Jesus says, I pray for you that your faith will be strong. And that means that there's no need for you to fear in hiding. There's no reason for you to fear to be able to go tell the truth. You can pray to Jesus that He would strengthen you, and you can always run to your parents and tell them what you have done or what you're doing. And you can even talk to them about the things that have happened. So I'm going to pray for you now that you would look to Jesus and trust Him. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we do come to You as Your children. You say that we are the sons and daughters of the living God. And I pray for our covenant children this morning that you would help them to know what we have just been discussing. That temptation is something that does arise in our hearts, and that it is something that our enemy would love for us to do. But I pray, Lord, that you would give them a spirit of courage and not a spirit of fear. That they can run to you in prayer, and pray what we just prayed this morning. Lead us not, Lord, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I pray that you would do that for our covenant children, that they wouldn't walk into things that they know they shouldn't do. And Lord, help them to order their feet and help us as parents to guide them well. 
that they, they would be walking in your ways and honoring you in your name. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, turn to page 804. We're going to be reading together Psalm 51. I'll begin with the light portion, and please respond out loud together with the bold. Page 804, we're reading Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I wanted to take this time to pray specifically uh, for those who are in the Ukraine, who are suffering this morning, those who belong to the Lord's church, those who have decided to stay, those who have decided to flee, and particularly those who are there who cannot leave, uh, that the Lord would be with them, that He would give them sustaining grace through this conflict. And ultimately we know that the Lord will accomplish His will but that he would be gracious to his people in it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you hear us when we pray, that it is your delight that we call on your name, that we raise our petitions to you, and that we approach the throne of grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do come to you on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world today in the Ukraine. Some who are fleeing, 
with just the clothes on their back and their children and a few possessions and a change of clothes. And Lord, others who have decided in the wisdom that you've given them that they would stay, that they would minister the gospel to those who are not able to leave, that they would take care of the elderly and those with young children, that they would share the hope of the gospel, those who have taken of their own money and decided to rent buildings and facilities to be able to give care to those who will undoubtedly be impacted by what is taking place there. Lord, we know that your word says that the king's heart is in your hand and you turn it wherever you wish. And Lord, we pray that you would be with your people in the midst of this conflict. We pray, Lord, that you would give them boldness and faith to share the goodness of the gospel in the midst of a terrible situation. And Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we are, that we would pray for them, that we would be reminded throughout our own days and enjoying the peace that we enjoy here that it would cause us to drop to our knees, not believing for a moment that we enjoy peace because we are better or because we somehow live lives that are holier than theirs. Lord, we pray that you would put us on our knees, that we would pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, that you would give them superabundant grace as they suffer for your sake. Lord, we pray that you would give them great faith and hope and trust in you. And Lord, we do look to you, the great shepherd of our souls, the shepherd of the sheep. We are your people. And Lord, we know that you are the God in heaven and you do all that you please. May you bring about your purposes through this conflict and any other throughout the world. And may you encourage your people in your word. Amen.
I left out a hymn, and it's unfortunate that I did. Callie, would you mind if we did that hymn now? I realize I've changed the order. I apologize. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 44, How Great Thou Art. Oh, 
the Lord Jesus will call us home. I invite you to open your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. The sermon is entitled this morning, Deliver Us from Evil. Matthew chapter 6. And in the interest of time, I'm only going to read verse 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, this is the word of the Lord. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we finish the last petition of the Lord's model prayer, where he says to pray, he teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This petition, like all of the others that we have been studying, finds its home in the heart of the believer who humbly submits to their Heavenly Father. Those who pray this trust the Lord, that He is good and strong and willing and able to govern all of their pleasures and all of their pains in this life and in the next. And that He does all of this according to His own good pleasure for His glory and ultimately for our good. They also agree with the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter 7 that they see in their hearts desires that wage war against their faith in the Lord. That wage war against the truths in the Bible that say we should trust our Heavenly Father. That even when dark and shadowy and gloomy days come, that He is Lord even over those also. This is where our enemy, Satan, loves to work, to cast doubt, to draw us down into a pit of despair. You are alone. God does not love you. He is not with you. Jesus did not die to save you from your sins. He died and that's it. And that's where you will go one day. Our enemy loves those phrases. He peddles in lies and deception. The truth from the Bible that we just proclaimed, singing, joining our hearts together, praising our Savior is that you, in fact, are not alone. Jesus calls you to pray this petition, even in the darkest hours, in the cloudiest days, in your weakest moments. Call upon the one who is called the great shepherd and overseer of your soul in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. This morning as we study verse 13, we're going to look at it under three headings. Number one, the problem of evil. Number two, why do I go through trials? And lastly, how does Jesus deliver me from evil? First, the problem of evil. And I want to say just briefly that this is a Christian matter alone. The problem of evil in the world and dealing with it is a Christian matter entirely. It's personal for God's people. It's not something out there that's against us. It's something in here, in our hearts. It wages war against our soul, wants to uproot our faith, move us out of God's care. Sin and evil is something inside of us. And the Bible says, opposed to everything that the world tells us, that all sin matters and it is evil. It is an affront to our holy, righteous, heavenly Father. Sin matters. This is a, a Christian matter alone. For the atheist, the one who says that God didn't create the world, that the Bible isn't true, they say it is their philosophy of life, their big philosophy of how they explain everything, is that nothing matters. 
Nothing has meaning. We live and then we die. And everything in between doesn't matter. There's no meaning to it. Have as much fun as you can. There's no such thing as good or evil. Whatever your heart finds to do, go do it. Enjoy it. Live your life to the fullest. You should be happy. You deserve it. You've heard these things. That is the philosophy of this world. But if this is true, then shouldn't this result in ultimate freedom? Shouldn't we see people around us enjoying and basking in ultimate freedom? No rules, no restrictions. Nobody's telling you what to do, what's right or what's wrong. There's no such thing as truth. Whatever happens, it just happens. Yet we see that a society that wholesale removes itself from the fear of the Lord, exposes itself to fear everything else. If you do not fear the Lord, then you fear everything else. I want to share briefly a quote with you that Michael Reeves wrote in an article that the fear of the Lord is the antidote for the anxiety that our world is suffering from. These days it seems everyone is talking about a culture of fear. From Twitter to the television, we fret about global terrorism, extreme weather, and political turmoil. Our private lives are filled with still more sources of anxiety. Take our diet, for example. If you choose the full-fat version on the menu, you're heading for a heart attack. Yet we keep discovering that the low-calorie alternative is actually carcinogenic or harmful in some other way. And so a low-grade fear starts even at breakfast. Or think of the paranoia surrounding parenting today. The valid but usually overblown fear of the kidnapper lurking online or outside every school has helped to fuel the rise of helicopter parenting and children more and more fenced in to keep them safe. As a whole, we are in increasingly anxious and uncertain culture. And therein is the extraordinary paradox, for we live more safely than ever before. Though we are safer than almost any other society in history, Safety has come, become the Holy Grail of our culture. And like the Holy Grail, it is something we can never quite reach. Protected like never before, we are skittish and panicky like never before. I think Reeves is right. He's on to something. When you replace and supplant the fear of the Lord, you are subject to fear everything else. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As we fear Him, we're not at the end of what He calls us to. The Bible says we're at the beginning. So to lay God aside is to begin wrong. And you cannot get to the correct end, the end that glorifies the Lord, by not walking in His ways. So be careful, dear people of God, as we open His Word this morning, that you begin with fearing the Lord. Reading His Word, taking it to be true for what it says. As we talk about the problem of evil... Is the devil real? Is Satan really real? How does he work? What is it that he does in the world? I'm taking the basic biblical assumption this morning that he is real. He is the enemy of Christ, of his church, and of every believer who calls on the name of the Lord by faith. He is your enemy. And his primary strategy with us as God's people, sons and daughters of the living God, is deception. That's his primary strategy. He wants you to believe he doesn't exist. He's just a man in a cape with a lot of makeup on a screen or a fictitious drawing in a children's book with red and black. But remember Eve in the garden. And there was a conversation that took place. And it was a real conversation. The book of Genesis is not a made up story. It's not something we teach our children so they know how the world began. The Bible was given to us from our Heavenly Father to know what's going on in our hearts and what He says about it. Corrie ten Boom said in her book, The Hiding Place, 
Oh, this was the great ploy of Satan in that kingdom of his to display such blatant evil. One could almost believe one's own secret sins didn't matter. That what so horribly took place and horrifically takes place in certain parts of the world today might have you believe that that's so evil and someone who could do something like that is so evil that what goes on in my heart by several degrees must be so much less of a pain to the living God. It must be okay. But Jesus says in the face of that, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He taught us to pray that, to pray it daily. Sin matters. The Bible says that our enemy, the devil, in John chapter 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole earth and his angels were cast out with him. So the strategy of the devil is bringing about temptation and evil to deceive us, to put thoughts in your mind and feelings in your soul that are false. He lies to us about where happiness is best to be found. And that's why Jesus is telling us to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil. Lastly, the problem of evil. It was settled by God on the cross when He chose to kill His Son. Evil, including our sin, was judged on the cross. The full weight of what Jesus suffered paid for evil to be dealt with. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. In the song, Before the Throne of God Above, there is a verse that says, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Before the throne of God above. Jesus judged evil and sin and death, and He defeated all of them, and He defeated Satan. He knows that His end is near, this enemy of God's people. By Jesus' death and resurrection, they are defeated. Death and hell and our sin no longer are tyrants over us. And Jesus instructs us to pray that we would be delivered from their tyranny now in this life and that it's possible. Think about Jesus giving this prayer to His people. He didn't do this so that you would be beaten down by your sin. He did this because He promised that He would deliver you by His Spirit, clinging to Him, being filled with His Word. This is a reality that's possible. It's not something He dangles in front of you. Secondly, why do I go through trials? And you have to level with this question, dear people of God. Why do I go through these things? Why do they seem to always happen to me? Why does it always end up on my doorstep or in my family? Even before breakfast. It is not always for us to know the why of our trials. You can't reduce it down to some sin that we committed. And don't believe for a moment that God must be paying me back for something I did years ago. He doesn't work that way. Only God knows why He chooses to bring trials into our lives. And only He knows about the specific trial that you may be walking through today. 
One that maybe you haven't shared with other people and you haven't asked for prayer, but it's something that you deal with day in and day out nonetheless. Only He knows why He brought it at the exact time that He did. But you can be certain, based on the promises of His Word, that He will carry you through and that He will use it to make you more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Inherent in every pleasure and every pain in your life is a test from the Lord. Will you exalt Him? Will you glorify Him and give glory to God? Will you seek Him more through it? Or will you give in to the lies and the deception of the enemy that says you should be isolated in your own thinking and believe that you did it? There's no reason to be grateful to God. You did it. You accomplished it. Your work, your intelligence, all the time that you put into it, all the pleasures that you enjoy in this life, you did it. And any pain is someone else's fault. Someone else who failed you. And you only failed because they did. Don't be grateful to anyone. You did it. And to elevate whatever it is, pleasure or otherwise, to the place where it is the ultimate thing in your life. That's what the enemy wants to do with any trial in your life. Cause you to look away from your Heavenly Father. To have no particular trust in Him at all. We believe that we go through trials, and according to the Bible, we go through trials to grow in grace. They are God's instruments to grow His people in grace. He uses them as He wishes. And it is God alone who knows how many tests of faith, how severe each saved sinner can endure, as the sinner is constantly being assaulted by the devil, by this world, and by his own flesh. Those are the three things that fight against us. Our sin, a world that is opposed to him, and our enemy, Satan. Going through trials shows us our weakness and our need to be taught dependence on our Heavenly Father. And this actually does exalt Jesus. Your trials, dear believer, exalt the Lord Jesus. What you go through matters. None of them are wasted. None of them are meaningless. They should drive us to our knees in prayer. As we see twice in Luke 20, excuse me, Luke 22, 40 and 46, Jesus said to the disciples in the garden, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. To be tempted is that in itself. To be tempted by that desire, that is a sinful desire, is a reason for you to run to your Savior. To cry out to Him. It shows us we should be in His presence in prayer. This final petition assumes that the children of God realize their own weakness and vulnerability, says Sinclair Ferguson. I want to read another quote to you from D.A. Carson. This petition is a hefty reminder for the people of God that just as we ought to consciously depend on God for physical sustenance, as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, so also we need to sense our dependence on Him for moral triumph and spiritual victory. Indeed, to fail in this regard is already to have fallen. For it is part of that ugly effort at independence which refuses to recognize our position as creatures of God. As Christians grow, they see more of their own weakness and they rejoice that whatever virtue they possess flourishes as a fruit of the Spirit of the living God. More and more they recognize the deceptive subtleties of their own heart and the malicious cunning of the evil one and fervently make this request of their Heavenly Father. What Carson is saying there is, That any attempt you or I make to try to beat some sin 
or some temptation in our life, doing it on our own, we are already failing before we ever start if you're doing it in your own strength. But if you are running to the Lord, if you are clinging to Him, then you have a promise that He is with you. But you also know in order to do that, you have to be weak and submit and be humble, recognizing that you are a frail person. Lastly, why do you go through these trials? For discipline. This should be a comfort to us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, in an extended passage that I would recommend that you read, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, it says that we should not despise the chastening of the Lord. Those who belong to Him are disciplined by Him. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because the Bible says that that confirms for us our belonging to Him. That He loves whom He chastens. And if He does not chasten you, if you are never having a sense in your own conscience of needing to repent of sin or walk to someone and ask for forgiveness, as was the verse right before this, and the verse is right after this one, then you should question, am I an illegitimate believer? I say I believe in God, but it doesn't impact anything that I do. You should question, do I belong to Him? Is He my Heavenly Father? Am I trusting in the righteousness of Christ? Or am I really trusting in my own? Lastly, it should be for the church. You go through trials. And the Bible says that we are comforted by Christ. And we should be sharing that comfort with others. We should be encouraging other people who are walking in a similar fight. Or one that we have walked through. As it says in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, As Jesus was speaking to Peter about what I was speaking with the children about this morning. He said, Simon, Simon, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat. But when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The things that you and I go through are not for us alone. And the victories that Jesus has given us and the pathways of obedience that he has shown us are not ours alone. They are for his church. That our brethren, our brothers and sisters in the Lord would be strengthened and encouraged to walk in faith with Him. And lastly, how Jesus delivers us from evil. Number one, it's through humble reliance on Him in prayer. This prayer instructs us to run to Jesus with our weakness. The devil would have you believe that if you are weak, you should run from your Heavenly Father because He expects perfect people, right? Don't run and tell your Father you've messed up. Oh shoot, you should be saying in your heart, I messed up. I need to talk to my Father. I need to go to Him. I need to pray. We should run to Jesus in our weakness. When we're in a trial that seems like it would overtake us, we should be praying that He would deliver us. Lord, order my life in such a way that I won't give in to this, that I won't get sucked into the lies of my enemy. He would love for me to be down in this temptation and see me fail and other people see it. And oh, look what happened to so-and-so. Thought they were a Christian. And that's unfortunate. Those are the lies from the pit of hell from our enemy. Lastly, how does Jesus deliver us? By sanctifying us in His truth. In His Word. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10-20, through 20, we have a great treatise from Paul on the armor of God. And he says that the reason we should suit up with the armor of God is to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because he is a wily enemy who would love to shipwreck your faith. To make you unuseful as an instrument in the hand of God. Neutralize you completely. 
How does Jesus sanctify us in truth? John chapter 17, verses 15 and 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And notice, that's the only appropriate place ever that truth has a pronoun. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There is the truth of the living God. And Jesus said, your word is true. That's the only pronoun for truth that's appropriate. Jesus is saying, help them to be holy and conquer temptation in holiness by truth. Take the promises of God, the facts that He's revealed about life, His way of living and His being, and make them precious and real and living to your people. The antidote for falsehood is truth. Not louder voices, but truth. And since the enemy peddles in falsehood and lies and deception, the way to defeat him is through the word of the living God, in truth, by his spirit. In Matthew 13, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. So we pray, Lord, keep your word secure in my heart. Help me to guard it, to believe it, to hold on to it. That the work of the enemy would be nullified in my life by your spirit. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How does Jesus deliver you? By sanctifying his truth to you. He does it through one another. Speaking the truth in love to one another. And if it's called today then today is the day to be reminded, don't give in, dear ones, to the deceitfulness of sin. Don't. It will hurt your heart. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Paul says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And see there the word desire. Deceitful desires. That means you can't trust everything that comes out of your heart or everything that you feel. Don't trust your feelings, dear people. He says that we're to put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That was the way you lived before. You don't live that way now. Your life is not there. And lastly, James chapter 1. And you should read, just read the chapter. He says there, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials. See, brothers and sisters, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That is our hope, to endure, to go through it. Jesus didn't pray that you would be taken out of everything that might test you, that might try you. He prayed that you would be delivered from the evil one. That He would have no dominion over you. And He was confident in His servant Paul, who said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is your promise and your hope that one day He will take you home. And you will be home secure in heaven, away from this body, away from sin, away from the enemy, and away from the deceitfulness that wages war at your soul. May you hope as you trust in the Lord and look to Him 
and pray this prayer with sincerity and with faith that He will meet you and deliver you from evil and from the evil one. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You are faithful to Your people and that when You taught us to pray this prayer, that You meant every phrase to be on our lips and in our hearts. You meant for the posture of our hearts to be not being deceived, but before You in humility. As children who receive gifts from their parents and who receive discipline from their parents, You taught us to be in the presence of our Heavenly Father and accepting whatever He brings into our life. Lord, I pray for Your people here at Lebanon, for everyone who can hear me this morning and for those who are not here. Lord, that You would spare our faith, that in the midst of tumultuous times, in our world, in our home, and in our own hearts, that we would not do shipwreck to our faith by not praying this. Lord, help us to cry out to You. Give us the grace to do it that we would believe that You are the one who delivers us from evil. And Lord, may the trials that You bring into our life cause us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ as You are shaping us into His image. In Your name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 572.
as we take an offering to the glory of God.
you, Callie. Thank you, Callie. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of music, the joy that it ministers to our soul, and sometimes the messages that it cements in our soul. Lord, I pray that you would cause these words that we just heard to be, this music to be clear in our hearts and our minds, even as we think about this offering that we just gave as an act of worship and obedience to you, that your eye is on the sparrow, how much more do you watch over your children? Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look to you to believe that you will provide for all of our needs, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And as we give our tithes and our offerings today to believe that it is true that you will provide for us and for our families financially. In these days, or darker days if they come, that you are faithful and good. And Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and offerings to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to build his kingdom. In his name we pray. Amen. benediction of our Lord from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may you present you whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Amen.